Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So these guys are kind of British blokes. Ten years ago, they probably would have been staff writers on a games magazine. But now they have these massive audiences on YouTube of children. And they're kind of like idols. They have boy band level security. More from Stuart Dredge later as we discuss the Minecraft convention Minecon. Welcome to Text Message. I'm Nate Langson. And I'm Ian Morris. And we are going to start with this week's pick from the UK tech news. Not a particularly jolly topic, and we're only going to talk about this one because we want to get into this in a bit more depth because it means quite a lot to a lot of people. Microsoft has essentially killed Nokia. It's cut up to 7,800 jobs as it effectively writes off the purchase of Nokia's hardware division in a move that CEO Satya Nadella has called a restructuring. The loss will have cost a total of $7.8 billion when it adds in fees and what Microsoft generously calls goodwill payments, which means that when you look at the figures, the loss to Microsoft cost more than Nokia did to acquire in the first place back in 2013. It bought it for $7.2 billion and this has cost it 7.8. Over 2,000 of the jobs being cut are coming from Nokia's homeland of Finland, something that only feels like a, uh, a bit of salt being rubbed in the proverbial wound. At one point, Nokia had a market share over here that accounted for a third of all mobile phone sales. In fact, that might even be a global figure. That was back in 2002. Its best-selling phone was the 1100 series, which we've seen in many UK stores over the years. Very low-priced phone. And in total, it has sold over half a billion units since it was launched. It was all downhill for Nokia probably after the iPhone was released, and downhill a bit faster once the Android iPhone competition saw prices for the lower level phones, uh, particularly on the Android side, plummet to the point that made Nokia's inferior technology no longer attractive purely because of price. Then Microsoft offered a lifeline, but ultimately the competition was too great at that point for the might of Nokia's legendary hardware design and Microsoft's software clout to take down the twin Goliaths of Android and iOS. So this has left a number of questions, four of them, and these are what Ian and I are going to talk through over the next 10 or 15 minutes. One, what will Microsoft do with Windows Phone? Two, did Microsoft ruin something that another company could have made succeed, i.e. if somebody else had bought Nokia, could they have turned it into something great? Was the problem Windows Phone, not Windows Phones, failing to compel? And four, slightly more light-hearted question, but a genuine one, how long will it be until the most talented ex-Nokians group together to form a Kickstarter project to bring back the 3210 my guess is about six months, because there's a lot of talent in that company being laid off. So, Ian, let's start at the top. I mean, actually, let's start a little bit higher than the top. Your views on the Nokia-Microsoft revelations this week. Hmm. Yeah, well, um, it's uh, another one of these business decisions that I just don't feel that I've the capability to understand. Um, I, I can't see how it's uh, more reasonable to to write off 7.2 billion or or whatever it is uh, 7.8 billion sorry 
um, and, and but it isn't to sort of try and make a go of it with the company. Um, having said that, um, I don't necessarily think this means the end of hardware for Microsoft particularly. Um, I suspect it just realised that there's a lot of people working for what was Nokia that no longer are technically necessary. I mean, how many people do you think it takes to put together a new phone? I mean, 7,800 people is a staggering number of people working for a company, isn't it? It is, but it's it's all that a lot of that is also supporting existing products and services. It's not always just about um, people who but are making something brand new. Presumably, though, they will continue. They will have to continue to support everything that's already out there. I mean, legally and morally, they'll need to keep whatever is out there at the moment going for a certain period of time. Well, that's um, something that 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 remains to be seen. And these these sorts of closures of of service do take quite a long time um, mm. to, to go through. I mean, the reason to do something like this is it's sort of almost counting your losses and leaving the casino before you completely ruin yourself it's you know if they're not able to see uh, a future in what they're trying to do then better to uh you know cut off the gangrenous arm than to let it spread to the rest of the body and take down the torso of windows and the throbbing groin of office so I, I have no idea why or where that metaphor came from <laughs> um, that's so that's the thing reason about them mate. I mean, there's there's another angle to this story before we go through those questions, which is that there was an interesting way that Nokia and Microsoft came together. Because if you remember, Stephen Elop basically um, left to go to Nokia. He became CEO over there, sold the company back to Microsoft, thus moved back in with Microsoft, and then Microsoft effectively killed Nokia. It and no. him, by the way. Uh, I mean, not literally killed him, yes. but fired him. Uh, so it, it's an interesting round tale of sort of how to... Uh, basically, how to, over the period of two years, target a company you don't want it to exist anymore and strategically kill them from the inside. But um, but I, I don't I, see that as being... I mean, I don't think Microsoft didn't want Nokia to succeed. I mean, they were the only ones pushing Windows Phone, weren't they? Well, so well, let's, it really let's, was in Microsoft's interest... Well, let's let's talk about this, and we don't have to talk about the questions in the same order. Question three was going to be, was the problem Windows Phone, not Windows Phones, failing to compel? Now, to begin with, in the UK, Microsoft at one point, and this was, I think, in 2013, had a market share of smartphones here in the UK of somewhere around 12, even 13 percent. You know, a, a genuinely good figure in the, the world of iPhone and Android, collectively taking up such a massive portion of the rest. So... There was something compelling about Windows Phone, at least in the UK and Europe. Uh, that did drop to about 7%, I think, last year. So it wasn't sustainable. And the Windows Phones themselves, as physical devices, were, uh, you know, if you, whether you liked them or not, they were visually distinct. And, and they, were a, a more, they were another interesting player in the market um, versus iPhones, which always look the same, and Androids that are primarily Samsungs and always look the same. The <laughs> Windows phones came out with a big flat interface and giant illuminous color bodies, you know. Um, you, know you could argue that, um, that Microsoft, well, the Windows phone has actually inspired Android um, because there's definitely been a move towards that much flatter look that Windows phone was kind of out there with early on wasn't it i mean it was all sort of solid colors and that's something that my, uh, google's gone for with later versions of android with its material interface um but having said that I, i'm I'd, I'd be very surprised if windows phone is done i you know i just don't see it ending 
It doesn't yeah. make any sense. This would be the worst possible time for them to end Windows Phone. So it was. Um, this is this is the question, though. It was the what was the problem? I mean, why? What what happened? I mean, let's put competition to one, one side. That's always going to be a challenge. But what was wrong with Windows Phone? I mean, I think that this is classic Microsoft. Um, as much as I will, you know, defend that company, and and you know, uh, I'm very happy to be, you know, a user of many of its different products. Um, it's quite sort of well acknowledged that. At times, bits of Microsoft sort of fight with each other, and the result is rarely positive. Um, I suspect that um, some people in Microsoft are starting to lose patience with the fact that the company hasn't got a bigger market share. But you cannot just invent market share, can you? You know, you ha- it's something you have to work at, especially when you do not turn up first. So yeah. Apple was able but, to. But- generate a really nice bit of market share for itself by producing a phone that was totally unique had completely rethought about how a, a smartphone should be had ta- you know like we, we, we all know that you and i both had the nokia n95 we both know that that phone was at least as good if not much better than the original iphone in terms of in terms of functionality the nokia n95 was a much more full-featured phone i mean for one thing you could plug yeah. a pair of headphones into it without using an adapter <laughs> for one thing um and so and but but what apple did very skillfully was create something that people actually wanted to own that made everything a lot more simple it didn't even have an app store when it launched i mean and it still managed to beat nokia at so its own game so here's the thing then because i think what you're about to hit on or just really pointed towards is one of the biggest ironies in this entire saga that actually goes back way before Microsoft even started toying with the idea of dating Nokia. And the irony here is that Microsoft is, at its heart, a software company. But what went wrong here was software. The phone (laughs) didn't have any good apps. It had all the basics that you would need. There was nothing exciting about the App Store. And I'll tell you that I experienced this firsthand, not necessarily just as a user of Windows Phone. I have used it over the years. But I used to write a column for Wired every month called Best... Well, we called it Screened. I have no idea who named it that. But the idea was it was Best Apps of the Month. And it came to the point when I said to the editor of the magazine at the time i'm dropping windows phone because the the definite the, the brief the remit is best new apps there are no good apps anymore on windows phone i can't find any that i would want to put on a page of the magazine so we we dropped it and we did the same for blackberry at one point and just focused on android and ios and the reason that this irony goes even deeper than that is if you remember a few years before that there was the microsoft kin now this was a, <laughs> a phone that came out around the time of the of the palm pre and i remember going over to san francisco to the launch of this thing it was a big flashy launch and these were um, two devices that almost redefine the term short-lived i mean they killed it within a matter of weeks i mean literally they i they i don't even know if they released them there was they looked like one of them looked like a little pebble and one of them looked like um like a very small android phone from samsung and they were designed to be smartphones but again they launched they had no app store and they had no games and yet they were launching them as devices for basically for millennials you know for well for people who just about that they were really feature phones weren't they they were feature phones but they were designed to be like very social phones they were meant to be about sharing and photos and 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 even cloud services i mean they had a pretty robust looking cloud ecosystem and yet they killed it in weeks well i think that um and that's actually something that's very relevant to windows phone um 
the, Microsoft built those platforms. And I'm, I know more about this with Windows Phone than I did with Kim because that never even made it to the UK, did it? But um, but Windows Phone was designed to give you everything you really needed in the core of it. So whereas with Android, you, you get Android and then you have to go and you have to get Twitter and Facebook and all that jazz. What Microsoft did was they went sort of down the Palm Pre route, which was that you could have an operating system that was so well designed that everything just sort of hooked into the OS. So instead of having to send a tweet from Twitter, you'd have a messaging central hub where you could do everything. So the idea being that the app that, that you wouldn't need to download any any apps, they'd already be pre-installed and the phone would do everything for you. And it sort of kind of worked a bit, but they've backed away from that now. And we're now back to where, you, you know, you, now you get Windows Phone on a device and you have to go and get all those apps again which is a shame but it I is think but they... it, it stands but it but it still it still reveals something that is weird about microsoft because you know it, it bought nokia for the hardware it bought it actually the kin came out of a company called danger that used to make a very popular phone called the sidekick it bought oh, danger yes. and the danger team built the kin and microsoft built the software i think and then they bought nokia and did the software for windows phone and neither of these two things work and the, the company that's known for making software basically could not get people writing software for these phones and this i, I want to move the conversation on a little bit because yes. this is where i think things get a little interesting because you're right i don't think windows phone is um is necessarily where the future is but there's one there's a product line that microsoft does very well with that is fundamentally different to what it tried to do with kin and nokia and that's the surface now mm. microsoft you know it's a first party device and it's so it's micro, effectively Microsoft's hardware, Microsoft software. It's actually, you know, it's the Apple way of doing it in that regard, making the software and the hardware. And the Surface, the Surface 3 Pro is a very good product, very nice, well respected. It does well. Um, it's, you know, arguably one of the best tablets on the market that isn't an iPad. And and it, and I think that it's a compelling device very category. Very product to the iPod, though, is iPad, though, isn't it? I very, mean, it's not very, designed in that vain no it's it's very different but it but it's but it's fundamentally for microsoft a different type of product it is a a new form new format of product for the company at least in recent years it does the hardware and the software and it does well microsoft with the kin and with the and with the windows phone line never did well it never designed its own hardware together and the software apparently wasn't compelling enough so perhaps the line this is going to go is is a unif and this was hinted at in Satya Nadella's note to the company. This isn't in- entirely my own thinking here, but it looks like the route forward is Windows Phone on tiny versions of a Surface. You know, it's going to be a Surface Phone. It's going to run Windows Phone or whatever Windows Phone becomes under the grand unification of well, Windows. That's 10 the thing, isn't it? That's the phone key, because actually, yeah, because it's not Windows Phone anymore. It's Windows Ten. They're yeah. all called Windows Ten. And actually, I've just written about this for Forbes. I, 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 I personally feel like they're a, a sort of hair's breadth away from sort of really sorting out their strategy. Um, crucially. They're making things so that you can have a phone and installed on it, you can have a mobile version of Office or, you know, work Microsoft Word. Um, and when you're on the phone, it's like a normal phone version of Word and you can view documents and make small edits. But if you plug it into a big screen and a keyboard and a mouse, which you can, of course, do with USB, then suddenly you it, it's able to convert to a version of the app that looks at least exactly the same as the desktop version and and they was there's a video on youtube you can find it or you can find my forbes piece and uh, and it's linked in there but basically the idea there is that what you're doing is you're giving people even if it's not actually the app you're giving them 
what looks like the fully blown Word app. So it's an incredibly smart idea and one that should bring Xbox, Surface, Windows and phone all into one pool um, and, and that solves the problem that you highlighted earlier. It, it means that developers can look at that whole group of products and say, hey, look, this is a platform now which we can develop for. And with very little effort, we can have something that works, you know, in some form on every device. And I have this idea. I mean, I, you know, of course, I don't know if it'll ever happen, but you could have a game that runs on the Xbox One and perhaps something tied into that that enables you to use some form of it on Windows, perhaps the full game on Windows as well, and then a mobile portion of it on a mobile. Um, now, I don't know how the hell they're going to do that. That's their problem. But the idea behind that is so enormously huge and no one has successfully done that. And if they could pull it off, then that would be, you know, perhaps one of the most important products of all time. So the problem wasn't necessarily Windows Phone. It was just the phones and the, the hardware and software integration was never really good enough. But it looks like with a combination of Surface, first party hardware, and better integration with Windows, that might solve that problem. And, and part of what Windows Phone becomes um, is also what Windows becomes. Um, yeah. But that does spell the end of Windows Phone and probably spe- spells the ends of, of, of the Lumia brand. Certainly but do, in you, do you actually end. think that they're going to kill off the hardware phones? No, but I, mean, do you, do you- I, but, but but I do I don't I can't Lumia was I mean it was a great brand and it was a great brand name you know it it, it sounds like Illuminous and those phones were very colourful that the ecosystem was designed to be to be vibrant in their difference if you like that sound like a marketing guy but I think that was the key and I I don't know if Windows Phone. Sorry, if Windows 10 sitting on Lumia devices in whatever form is necessarily the way that they're going to want to push this. because they're probably going to want to have a whole Microsoft brand that encompasses Surface. And I mean, there's been talk of a Surface phone for a really long time, hasn't there? Yeah. And Surface... that's the direction. Surface is an odd brand because, of course, it started as basically like a tabletop for, you know, bank porch entryways and gangway and uh, lounges and things. Okay, so... Let's wrap up a little bit. I mean, I, I am curious if you think if there's is there any other company that could have bought Nokia devices no. and fair enough. I do, I don't because I just don't because th- I, I mean well there are companies that could easily have afforded it but why would you want it? Like, Nokia was it had become a company that was you just had failure after failure and of course everyone loves Nokia so you kind of run into trouble with this because people defend it to the end of the earth but that company had so comprehensively lost its way that I think the only route it had was to do do a partnership with someone. I mean, you know, arguably that probably should have been Google and they should have perhaps been the hardware partner making the Nexus phones, say, for example, because they could have done a really good job with that. Um, But that's not the way it happened. And I don't know whether that's because Microsoft just got the money in first and I don't know. There's got to be a patent issue here, right? I mean, presumably Microsoft isn't so bad at business that it doesn't have a plan and it must have got something out of this deal that it goes beyond a hardware company that then almost immediately shuts there must have been a value to it that goes way beyond what we can see from the outside yeah well i think in the short term as far as the uk is concerned i mean firstly only seven percent of us are currently going to care because everyone else is using a different product and it's but it is likely to mean less choice on the market 
place um, for the time There's being. Quite a lot of people, though, isn't it? I mean, seven. I mean, I heard numbers of eleven percent for Windows Phone, and you know, but even even at seven percent, eleven percent was sort of the peak around twenty thirteen. Yeah. it's about seven percent now. They they lost some, unfortunately, mm. for them. But I but I think we're going to see a, a big drop off because nobody's going to want to buy a contract on a on a Windows Phone because particularly since so much of it's tied to ecosystem um, that that they know is going to get killed and therefore not it's not going to be supported. This is why companies don't like pre-releases because it stops people buying the versions of things they've got on sale. So, And there's no way that even if Microsoft promises a free upgrade, that your average spotty teenager in the car phone warehouse is going to explain to you that you can get a free OTA update um, that will update your um, firmware and turn your Lumia into a Surface. You know, they're just going to say, just just buy a Galaxy, you know, <laughs> just buy a Samsung. So I don't think we're going to see many of those, but maybe longer term we'll see a comeback in the form of um, very small surfaces and we can have another black glass-fronted oblong um, to look at through a shop window and get a free Xbox and, with it. And not buy. And, well, 7% of us might consider it. Um, so but the last question is, 3210, best phone ever released. You and I agree on this, um, or at least very closely see eye to eye on this. I do think that there's a lot of talent at Nokia that is getting laid off. And what are those people going to do? Are they just going to go away? Or are they going to look at the likes of Kickstarter? I mean, we've seen this with Sailfish. Um, where mm. groups of redundant people get together Hard, and make something interesting. Hardly a massive success, though. I mean, again, it, it's it, ready it, for can... acquisition. Let's put it that way. But yes, that's it's ready true. For, for acquisition. You know, somebody like Bang and Olufsen will pick it up and turn it into a, you know, a high-end music device and take some of them that way. But they have to do something. And I think there are a lot of people. We're almost on this verge of of the anti-smartphone. You know, the phones that just do great calls, very simple apps. We are on the brink of it. Well, that's going to do it for our discussion about Microsoft and Windows Phone and Surface. Obviously, let us know what you think. Podcast at natelangson.com. That is where you can post questions to, or you can post your comments or questions to text message pod on Twitter at text message pod. Don't point that out often enough. We do have Twitter. It's not a lot on there. I'll be perfectly honest. I'm quite busy and so is Ian. But that is where we look for your input and it's in my tweet deck so it's hard for me to ignore it uh, but podcast at natelangson.com let us know what are your thoughts are on nokia what do you agree um with on this show today what do you disagree with and what other way could microsoft uh change the direction of its phone and software business let us know Not everyone in the world is as beautiful as you, dear listener, and not everyone knows how to download a podcast. That's why I'm encouraging you to bring someone you know into the podcasting world by telling them about this show and which app you use to listen to it. You'll be helping not only me and text message, but all podcasters who often need word of mouth more than money to help promote their work. Thanks for listening, and hopefully, thanks for the review and the help spreading the word. Or if you want to be on the show, Send your comments about this episode or any other tech topic. Podcast at natelangson.com.
Well, we've got one piece of feedback we wanted to get to this week. We've actually got a few. We had a great email from John. I uh, had another from Rick. We had a, quite a long one, actually, from Andy talking about the EU. But um, we've only got time, really, to talk about one. And I'm just going to go with the top one simply because I know that Ian is incredibly excited by solid state drives. And this one's from John. He says, firstly, thanks for the great podcast each week. And uh, he says, you recently asked for feedback up from anyone still buying traditional hard disks and why. Coincidentally, I've just bought one, a two terabyte Toshiba external USB 3 to use with my Xbox One as I ran out of space on its internal drive. I did my homework and found games and other content aren't noticeably any faster from an SSD in this scenario. And in fact, one external traditional disk connected by USB 3 can load content slightly faster. So I was able to pick up a two terabyte Toshiba for 59 quid and it works like a dream. An equivalent SSD would have cost significantly more and not given any real world advantage. That said, I have a 500 gig SSD in my MacBook that I wouldn't swap for the world. I guess it depends on the use case. Uh, Ian, what what do you think of John's? Because that that to me makes complete sense. It's cheap. It doesn't need to be moved. I don't really have a problem with um, with spinning drives. I mean, especially when it's something that doesn't actually matter that much. Um, I mean, I don't know how I don't know how the Xbox handles its uh, save games. Um, I mean, really, in this day and age, there is no excuse for save games not going on the cloud, is there? But I noticed that even Steam doesn't do that reliably with every game. Xbox and PlayStation both have cloud saving. Well, there you go then. So that's so really all you need is your save games, right? So if everything mm. else goes to hell in a handcart, then you know it doesn't matter so much if your hard drives crash. You still just download the games again or reinstall them or whatever. Some of those games for for Xbox, when you download them or if you install them from the disc, you know we're talking forty, fifty, sixty gigabytes. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. We will get to the other two emails we got this week, next week. And if you have any points, obviously, podcast at natelangson.com. Do keep them coming. Ian and I will be quite literally here waiting for you on the edge of our seats. Last week on Text Message, we spoke to the journalist Stuart Dredge about Apple Music. At the end of the interview, we ended up talking about something else that he'd been to very recently called Minecon. Now, this is a Minecraft convention that takes place, or took place at least, this year in London in the UK. Now, I was intrigued to hear more about this because it includes panel sessions, which have, amongst other things, live gameplay from well-known YouTubers in the Minecraft field. It has Minecraft toys for sale, obviously, and it's kind of a celebration of the community around Minecraft. This, though, extends to having a very big education focus. The UN, the United Nations, were there to see how Minecraft could help with architecture in developing worlds. This sounded to me like a fascinating topic to talk about in detail from somebody who had spent time very recently there. So I've decided to get Stu back on again this week, and I started by asking him what exactly Minecon is and why was it so interesting for him to go along. Okay, so Minecon is basically the, it's, it's the annual convention held by Mo Yang, which makes Minecraft. Um, and they hold it in different places every time. So it's been in Las Vegas, it's been in Orlando, and then it was in London this week. And it basically you go along and it's a mixture of a conference with panel sessions, but the panel sessions tend to feature big YouTubers who are playing Minecraft online who have millions of subscribers. So it's kind of panel sessions, but not boring ones. Um, and there's an expo that's got like the various partners who are selling Minecraft books and Minecraft toys. Um, and yes, yeah, so it's kind of a, it's it's not like an Apple type event where they announce news. It's more of a celebration of the community around Minecraft. And the thing I got going to it was that there is this massive 
really engaged, powerful community of, of, of people playing Minecraft, but also looking at doing stuff with it for education. The UN were there talking about doing architecture in developing world and kind of getting people to contribute to how their city should look. It was a really interesting, thriving thing that made it seem much more like the game. So who attends Minecon and what do they get out of attending? I know it's not exactly cheap to go. Well, that's it. It was mainly, you know, it's mainly parents and children actually who were there. So there were a lot of parents, and, it, and the tickets cost 129 quid each. So if you've got a parent and a six-year-old child, they've spent like 260 quid going there, which is startling. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of it. It was really interesting how how woven in Minecraft is with YouTube culture now. And you have people like um, I watched actually playing Minecraft live on stage. Stampy, who's a guy from Britain, who's got about six million subscribers, and a guy called the Diamond Minecart, um, a guy called Dan, who's also British. So these guys are kind of British blokes. For 10 years ago, they probably would have been staff writers on a games magazine. They were, they're kind of that kind of person who loves games, wants to communicate it. But now they have these massive audiences on YouTube of children, and they're kind of like idols. It's like they have, they have boy band level security, uh, sort of helping them get through crowds, and, and, and they just kind of sit and play Minecraft and talk to an audience. It's a really fascinating subculture where, where to these kids they are. They're, they're kind of their pop stars. So if, it, if it's something that's so big and so popular, why don't we see more about it in the media? No, it's global. I mean, there's this thing of, of, of kids playing Minecraft around the world. And yeah, it's just become this, it, I think quietly almost, like parents who have kids who are Minecraft all the time know all about it. No one else really does. It's passed everyone by. But yeah, there's those people all over the world. This kind of, I mean, this, this conference, I think they had seven people from 70 countries coming to it and 10,000 people as well, which is a, a big deal. I met about four of the freelance journalists and we'd all paid for our tickets um because we were in either because we were taking our kids or because we just were interested enough to cover it so now they that mojang who makes minecraft don't really do a lot of media i mean they they've just built this community that's kind of grown and grown and grown and, and the media uh, journalists have written about minecraft already quite a lot but there isn't really it's not a, a kind of journalist fueled thing now is minecraft is minecon sorry still independent of microsoft since microsoft acquired it not long ago that's it, yeah. So Microsoft, obviously Microsoft paid 2.5 billion, I think, for Mojang last year. And the, the, the part of this convention was very much stressing to fans, it's business as usual, and nothing weird has happened, and nothing horrible is happening to the game, and we're not ruining it. So Microsoft were there, and they had a stand. And actually, Microsoft are doing a lot, I think, on the education side. They just launched a big portal for teachers that's kind of explaining how they can use Minecraft in the classroom. They're doing, Microsoft is almost bolstering that side of Minecraft, where that's kind of come up organically in the past but there hasn't been a huge focus on it. Um, but they also had HoloLens there, and they were showing off Minecraft on the augmented reality headset, um, which I had a demo of, and that was pretty, pretty, very strange, kind of playing Minecraft as it rises from a table in front of you um, and, and doing cause augmented reality weirdness. So, so yeah, I mean, it was very much like a... Uh, it, it felt to me, actually, that the most it felt like was something like a Comic-Con, where it's very much a thing for fans to celebrate the culture and the community, rather than a corporate conference or a, an Apple-style conference of journalists. Um, and basically, it was just surreal, like sitting in the audience watching someone play Minecraft, surrounded by six-year-olds screaming and waving plastic swords in the air. It was kind of, the only thing I've had close to that as well is, is, is going to Nintendo press conference at E3, where you have journalists dressed as mushrooms, um, <laughs> which is kind of strange. But yeah, it just, I just came away really like um, enthused, actually, because I've got two kids, six and eight, and they're getting into Minecraft now. And you do think, is it just a game where they're running around battling skeletons? But actually, it is this thing. I mean, you meet kids there who are just building these amazing structures in it, who've, who've learned it all themselves, kind of thing. Now, when we were young, we would just call that Lego. <laughs> exactly. And funny enough, Lego were there, because I think Lego are partner. They have some, Le some Minecraft Lego. But yeah, I mean, it's, in a way, it reminds me very much of that. It's, it, the, the thing about it is it's something where it's not about a, a, a prearranged story or playing a game through to the end and you get to the boss and they get 
it's like this creative sandbox, much like Lego. And I think kids are using a lot of the same skills. You know, I'm going to build a massive thing that looks like this, and it's going to have chickens in the walls for no reason. And then there's no there's nothing stopping them. So um, I've got to ask you about the United Nations, the UN. They were in attendance, and I'm assuming they weren't there to watch stampy live streaming a minecraft let's play basically they have these workshops where they'll go to somewhere um like peru or like nepal and it's where there's a problem with public space where the public space is badly designed there's not enough of it and they'll sit down with local children and say right if you could design the public space here what would it be like and these kids build it in minecraft because they understand that language and they've been using it and then they turn the Minecraft thing into plans and go off to town planners and sort of say, look, this is what the local people have said they want. And it's not like they then go off and build exactly what it's said, but it is, is this idea of finding something that kids understand to express themselves in a way that then can be translated into city planning that I would never have guessed would go on when I first played Minecraft sort of three or four years ago. And this is an annual conference, so listeners could go next year? It is. It moves around the world, which I'm in trouble, actually, because I went on my own, didn't take my kids because I had to work. Um, and I was like, OK, I'll take you next year. Well, f- forgetting that it, it moves next year. So it could be in New Zealand next year or, or Russia or somewhere, and I'll be in trouble. Um, but yes, yeah, so it takes place every year. And it's, it's yeah, it's, it's just, I mean, there was a, there was a, there was a massive sort of um, show on the first night where they had lots of Minecraft Steve. So Steve is the main character you kind of have when you start Minecraft dancing to kind of quite powerful EDM music. It was very surreal, like a sort of rave, but for children. That sounds like modern Teletubbies to me, only without the face of a uh, emotionally charged newborn leering down from the sky. It kind of is, yeah. I mean, it really, the thing that surprised I think is, is that it, a lot of people who don't have kids maybe or who think Minecraft is game and you make things and it's kind of fun. But when you get in there, you realize it's, it's become this powerful thing and it's become kids are playing it. They're watching people on YouTube doing it. It's, it's become more, I think, than the game for this generation of kids, but it's still under the radar, weirdly, even though it's sold 70 million copies. But I think over the next year, we're going to see some interesting stuff happening around education, around the entertainment. People, people realize, I think that these two people I mentioned, Stampy and the Diamond Minecart, they're two of the top five channels on YouTube completely, like out of everything, pop stars, TV, musicians included. So this has become the biggest children's TV category in the world without anyone really realizing it. Even if you talk to children's TV people, they don't know who the Minecrafters are on YouTube. So it's going to, in, in all kinds of ways, it's like, I hate saying disrupting, I hate a different word. It's, in all kinds of ways, it's kind of nibbling at the edges of mainstream media, um, but no one's quite got to grips with it, which as a journalist, to me, is a really fascinating story to cover. So I'm hopefully going to keep covering it. Well, hopefully we can keep inviting you back onto the podcast to enlighten us. That was Stuart Dredge, a freelance technology and gaming journalist for The Guardian. He's on Twitter, at Stuart Dredge, and very grateful for him coming on two weeks in a row to talk to us. Well, thanks very much for listening. As ever, get in touch, podcast at natelangson.com or text message pod on the Twitters. You know how to use them. It's very simple. Podcast at natelangson.com. That's what you can do. Thank you very much for listening and for your continued reviews. We had a message from Luke, who is in the Netherlands, I believe, and he had, I'm officially crowning him ambassador of Netherlands, at least for this podcast. And uh, he has a five-star reviews on the uh, Netherlands iTunes store. So thank you very much. Keep those reviews coming. It really helps us keep the word out there and keep our spirits up. When it is raining on our hearts, you erect umbrellas over our heads. Podcast at natelangson.com is where I'll look forward to hearing from you, and Ian and I will see you next week.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 